for actually like most of the project I didn't think that I would finish and like it was just so overwhelming to sort of like think about climbing 247 mountains for four months but I just took it one day at a time and just figured like at the very least you know I'm gonna have a, a good time climbing like a couple mountains um, and that'll just be a great experience in and of itself and so so yeah it was Honestly, um, it was just as difficult mentally as it was physically because um, you kind of have to plan mentally to, to climb 247 mountains, but then you have to com compartmentalize in your brain. Well, like, I'm going to put all those mountains aside and just focus on this one for today. That was a really big, a big lesson and just like learning how to, how to like uh, conceptualize the whole idea. So I just... I set a goal of climbing 50 and then ended up getting to 50 and then I was like, well, I get to 100 and ended up getting to 100 and then got halfway and then I was like, well, I got halfway so I could probably do that again. <laughs> um, and then that was around halfway. That was the moment where it was like, um, yeah, like uh, I'm kind of pushing my boat out into the open sea and I'm just gonna go for it and see what happens. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. People who, through challenge and flow, have found their thing in life. It's true that none of us are here on this earth by mistake. We are here quite purposefully, but it's also true that not everyone will find their thing while on this earth. And no matter where you are on your journey to finding your thing, our intent is by sharing stories each week on this podcast, you're inspired to keep looking or finding or living in the direction of it. I know our guest today is quite grateful to have found his purpose and perhaps even more so now that he's fulfilling a dream to make a positive impact by living it. On August 12th, Travis Soares completed perhaps the craziest FKT attempt in the history of FKTs when he finished climbing the Sierra Peaks section list in the fastest known time, 247 peaks in 117 days, 8 hours and 34 minutes, over 700,000 feet of climbing, all the while raising funds to support the Bishop Paiute Tribe Food Sovereignty Program, which aligns with Travis's passion to decrease food waste and make more environmentally responsible foods accessible to those who need it. Before Travis discovered his love for the mountains, he spent many years growing up as an oddity within his hometown of Barrington, Rhode Island. Getting into trouble for not wearing shoes and skipping school to meditate were commonplace as Travis navigated an innate knowing that he was not where he wanted to be. He discovered a love for the writings of John Muir and Henry David Thoreau at a young age and after high school began to spread his wings and follow the path which put him atop those 247 peaks. There's so much to dive into today. We're pumped to have this adventurous soul sharing his time with us. So let's get started. Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> We're grateful that uh, Jason connected us, and um, and now here we sit. I love the trickle effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I see on your Instagram that you're going to be heading back to Rhode Island to give a talk 
uh, about this adventure and I'm, I'm sure the things that led up to it and the things that you traversed. And how does that feel to come full circle back to a place um, living more so who you want to be and where you want to be back to the town that, you know, didn't feel right for you growing up? Like, how does that feel to go full circle back to share your story now? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited and very grateful to, to have the opportunity to, to go back and speak and share to my hometown. And, um, you know, like growing up there was, was kind of tough for me because I knew that I wanted to go to other places and do other things. And I think at the time it was, you know, I was probably like a little depressed and aimless and, uh, Thankfully, my parents were very supportive and sort of like knew that I uh, that I uh, wanted to to go do other things, and so they helped me find my path. And so, thankfully, I had my parents on my side, and I'm just hoping that if I can go back and and speak about my journey, then um, maybe maybe some kids will be inspired the same way. Um, yeah, that, that I was. And, um, maybe they'll just think I'm a crazy, crazy guy talking about mountains, but, uh, I hope there's at least like one, you know, one soul who, yeah, gets some inspiration. Yeah. If they can at least pull upon the, just the idea that something else is possible, right? Just, I think we were talking just before, like we're from New England and there's a, there's a track and a path that's very well worn that this is what you do from the time you, you know, the time you, you're born to the time that you go to college and graduate and get your job. And when you start to deviate from the norm, you start to be considered going rogue, <laughs> I guess you could call it. Um, but if you can just plant the seed that maybe there, yeah, maybe there is one or two or three um, people that actually just come to listen to you um, at, at this talk and, and be able to maybe consider, maybe it's not mountains, maybe it's just something else. Maybe it's getting out of New England. Maybe it's, you know, going overseas, just something. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it can really be anything, anything that like speaks to that person that they might have interest in, but are like unsure whether they should pursue it because they're being told other things. Um, yeah. <laughs> How did your parents support you when you were growing up? So, you know, I, I've enjoyed reading a little bit about you and listening to some podcasts about, you know, you'd go to track practice barefoot and you'd get in trouble for not wearing shoes and you'd skip class to meditate. So you're doing these things that are against the grain. And your parents obviously saw this, this spirit in you that needed to expand. But in those days where you were in Barrington and you were going to school, what were some of the things that they did to help support you? Or, or were they, did you also find they were balancing this edge of like, okay, we got to kind of keep him a little bit in line and then also support where he is without squashing his dreams? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we like... <laughs> we made compromises. Um, like if I got a certain, certain level of, uh, academic achievement, then they were kind of like hands off with me. Um, and then also I expressed interest in going on a Knowles course when I was 17 years old. And so they, they supported that and sent me out to Wyoming for a 28 day backpacking trip, 
which totally blew my mind. And it was like one of the best experiences of my life, just being out there in the wild and like realizing that people actually go out for an extended amount of time in the mountains um, and make connections with with other humans and students and kind of just like live really simply. I realized that that was like something that people actually do at a sort of young age and knew like that's kind of what I wanted to pursue. And, um, and then, yeah, when I was looking around at different colleges, I decided on Prescott College, which is in Arizona. And um, my parents were supportive of that decision as well. Do you have any fear about going out to that 28-day excursion? Was there any ounce of, of uh, doubt um, in going into something you didn't have anything to reference against, complete unknown? Uh, no, I think I was just like fully invested. Like I was just excited to see what would happen. Um, I think maybe, yeah, maybe on the plane, like leaving, I was like a little nervous. But once I had like totally detached myself from that life in Rhode Island and it was just out there, it was, I was just like fully immersed. And what was it like to return to Rhode Island after that? What was the re-entry into uh, Rhode Island way of life. Yeah, I think it was probably pretty tough. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I had like some stories and stuff to share and some cool rocks and, uh, trinkets that I found along the way to share and just, uh, yeah. So I think it was tough, but overall it was definitely like a good experience. You're, you're, your heart was probably still in wanting more. Mm-hmm. You, the 28 days probably wasn't enough. Is that a good assumption? Yeah, yeah. Like all the other students I remember were like, oh, I can't wait to get back. And I was like, I feel like I'm just like getting started out here. Like I could live out here forever. But um, uh, yeah. What were your outlets like as a, as a kid growing up? You know, and not feeling like just knowing like this is not where I want to be, nor is it um, like you didn't really have a choice, right? You you needed to stay there. And of course, you had this opportunity when you were 17, but there was a lot of years before that um, and just kind of feeling maybe like you're in a tight shoe. What were some of your outlets to, you know, keep your spirit high and open and, and um, you know, imagination for dreams of your future? Yeah, I think my outlets were basically uh, like running, um, like running through the woods or just going on long runs um, just around town, like along the beach and exploring like the the wild wildness uh, that is in Rhode Island. Um, yeah, thankfully living on the ocean, there's a good amount to explore on the coast there. And then also I grew up near... Um, the bike path that spans from Bristol to Providence. I don't know if either of you have uh, hopped on that, but <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. 14 miles of coastline and um, just a place to, to run. And so I think I, that's sort of how I got into um, like a more athletic um, outlet is just like using that pent up energy just to, to go, to go move. So after this 28 day, you come home, you're 17. So I'm assuming you still have, do you still have a year of high school left before you graduate? Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you hear 
Like, how do you find Prescott College? And tell us about what you majored in, because that's not mainstream. (laughs) Yeah, I heard about it through (laughs) Green Mountain College. And Green Mountain GMC is in the same eco league as Prescott College. So that means you can, like, take a semester uh, over at PC and just, like, the credits and stuff transfers. And so I heard it through them when I went to go visit. And I definitely always knew that I wanted to go out west um, so I was debating between GMC and Prescott College and just decided to go visit Prescott College. And it was really beautiful out there in Arizona. It's not like typical uh, saguaro desert cactus that you imagine Arizona to be. It's more higher elevation at like uh, about a mile high. And so there's there's forests and there's there's big bigger mountains out there, too, and lots of rocks, uh, lots of rock climbing. Um which is what I would end up getting into when I went out there. Um, and what was your major? Uh, wilderness leadership. Um, and I minored in environmental studies. And so basically um, for class, we would go out backcountry skiing or whitewater rafting or alpine mountaineering out in the Sierras, which was my um, introduction to the Sierras. Um, and just learn how to, how to move through the mountains safely and then also learn how to be a facilitator in those spaces um, for the future. And um, and so that, yeah, I, I had a, a really good time at Prescott College. I definitely like found my, found my community there um, and like where I wanted to be. Yeah, I was watching one of your older YouTube videos and you talked about, you were in this valley, you were about to hike something or rock climb something and you were in this basin and you, the way that you described it, you, you were like, you knew where you were. You kind of like looked up, you took a pause. You said, well, this is, this is this mountain. This is where I am over here. Okay. And I'm going to be hiking over there. And this awareness of knowing just builds this confidence that you're okay wherever, wherever you are, because you can sight and navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've always just like really enjoyed learning about the, landscapes and the different mountains and even their like history how they formed and um like uh about like yeah the ecology of the place and just how everything is sort of like connected in a space and um i like to learn about that and just like knowing about that helps me like feel more more connected to it uh when i move through it um so yeah, I love just like looking at maps and reading about plants and stuff. And I would assume, you know, coming out as with that wilderness experience that someone who ventures into the, to do something like you've done and they haven't had experience doing it, the first thing they're going to do is see separateness between them and, and the environment that they're in. And they're going to get scared because they don't have this, they don't have this calm, but instead this is why you go practice these things. So you, you understand that there's a rhythm to everything. Like you're not alone. There's actually, this exists without you and it exists with you. And if you can be calm, that's the piece that's going to get you through any sort of uh, opportunity or challenge. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Actually, when I was in high school, I wanted to study like wilderness survival skills and like primitive living skills. That was like sort of what I wanted to do. So like, you know, learning how to, uh, live in the forest, um, you know, just 
off of the land. It was sort of like kind of I like where I came from. I taught myself a lot of those skills um, before getting into like more of a recreational uh, relationship with the landscape. So, so yeah, I do feel like pretty comfortable with like pretty minimal um, gear. And I think um, it kind of uh, works in my favor, like moving into like a recreational side because I feel pretty comfortable just going out with, yeah, like not much and feeling pretty confident and being able to <laughs> not die. <laughs> <laughs> So you're doing some crazy stuff, though. I'm assuming you've looked at that relationship that you have with, you know, the impermanence of our life here on Earth. Can you share a little bit about that if you have? Yeah. um, Yeah, I guess like, uh, I don't know. I definitely uh, try to live every single day to the fullest that I can because of how impermanent life is. And, um, yeah, just every day is a gift. And so, you know, (laughs) I guess just like when you go out and like, like are fully present, then that's when you create memories that are long lasting that you will remember rather than if you're to sort of like numb out, um, which is, what happens to a lot of people in society and what I've also fallen victim to. Um, it's easy just to watch the days like pass by. Um, but when you like wake up early and you're just outside all day, um, exploring new things and just like totally present and focused, then it almost feels like you're like stretching your, your life, your life, uh, in a way. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, I love asking this, but how do you how do you pull yourself back to the moment? How so when because we're not all perfect. I'm sure there's still some remnants of you know zoning out or or we like to call it you know zombie land. Like you just are doing the things over and over. How do you pull yourself back? How do how do you come back to the moment? Um, yeah, I think that's why I really enjoy being out in the natural world because when you're out there, it's it's sort of just easy. Uh, at least for me, like you don't like if you're moving through like uh, a space and that's like requires your attention, like if it's like technical terrain, for instance, like you kind of have to be focused or else the consequences could be uh, pretty dire. And so that's kind of why I like to move through spaces that require like that full attention um, because it, it's kind of hard to, to zone out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So when you were younger, you used to meditate. Do you still have a practice of meditation? Not really. Um, now it's mostly just running and climbing, but I yeah, I haven't done much of the traditional meditation anymore. When you were younger, what drew you to it? Um, I think I just needed to like quiet my mind. Like I've definitely have always had a mind that's just like racing really fast. And, uh, that's another reason why I like to, to, uh, get outside cause it helps me, uh, relieve like anxiety and stuff. And so, so yeah, I just found that like, mm. that really helped me when I was in Rhode Island. I guess that was like another, uh, outlet for me. How did you get introduced to it? 
Um, I think I was reading like uh, Tao Te Ching, um, mm. which is the a Taoist book, and it's just all about like being present and stuff. And so I just remember like uh, kind of like kayaking over to this nature preserve that was sort of like right in my backyard um, and just like standing in the water and like breathing and or just like uh, yeah sitting on the shore how does breathing how does breathing come into your practice now you know you talked about those dire not dire situations but the the moments that that uh, really require you to be focused do you feel your breath sort of come down to like a like a really calm peaceful can you feel that yeah definitely i think the breath is like for for people who you know like i don't know are interested in moving through difficult terrain or like just pushing their limits the breath is one of the most important things to learn um just like how to how to like calm yourself down and use it as a way of just like um anchoring yourself and and um being steady and also just checking in with yourself too. Like if you're breathing really, really fast then you're like, Oh, like maybe something's not right. I, I need to slow down. And so just like always being in control of your breath is like one of the most things, one of the most important things to be in tune with. I think when you're, when you're like either running or climbing, um, or like pushing the limits. And like you said, like traversing difficult terrain, that, and that could be life. That could be living in the place that you don't want to be. That could be doing the job that you don't want to do. And I think the breath is something that's just timeless and, and without borders. It can, I mean, I know in my own personal experience that it has been a guide for me through super difficult moments, either on the race course or just in life. You know, the traversing yeah. difficult moments in life, man. And it also helps us to slow down and be in that present moment, like you said, which is this place that's outside of time. It's not past or future. And I love how you described it as it's like, it almost like extends your life because it really is this place of timelessness that we're not taught at all to be in. It's like plan for the future, you know, make up for your mistakes in the past, um, fill your head with all this knowledge so that you can be something. And it's just kind of this dismissal of, you know, that we already are something and we already are so important to this world. Mm -hmm. Okay. So before we get into the big FKT you just mm -hmm. did, I'm assuming you just didn't come off the couch and climb 247 peaks faster than anybody has ever done it, that there's been a, some other journeys in your life. What was your first big um, like adventure, solo, multi-day, multi-week, whatever it may be that, that comes to mind for you, your first big one? Yeah, yeah. so when I went to Arizona at Prescott College, I, I began rock climbing, um, and that was definitely a huge pivotal moment in my life. Um, and, uh, yeah, it started out climbing like smaller boulders and stuff. And then me and my friend, Harry, we, uh, went to Yosemite, which is, um, where, you know, like the, 
you know, climbers go to like cut their teeth and get humbled because uh, it's really big granite walls out there. And like, if you don't know what you're doing, <clears throat> you can definitely get into some situations. And we definitely did not really know what we were doing. Um, and uh, so we we learned a lot on that trip. We we went out and climbed uh, Royal Arches and linked it up with North Dome, which basically goes up. Uh, it's like 2,400 vertical feet of climbing, basically at like anywhere from like 5.5 five to 5.8. Five and uh, at this time, we were like basically just boulderers and um, didn't really know our rope system. So we moved pretty slowly and just like uh, we started like, I think at like four o'clock in the morning and didn't really get back down to camp until like one o'clock at night. And so that was like one of my first like longest days. And I was, I think when I was like 19. Um, and, and, but now I can go up and do Royal Arches in like 40 minutes. Uh, so it's really funny just to like go back and like, uh, and like uh, see that progression and just, be like man like what were we doing <laughs> uh but so so yeah just climbing big big walls and um uh and just progressively getting getting more fluent moving over rock over the years and then also when i was 19 i went out and hiked um the long trail in vermont which starts in uh massachusetts and goes up to the canadian border over the course of 270-ish miles. And um, that was also a great learning experience for me um, because I carried a pack that was so heavy of just like unnecessary stuff and um, <clears throat> was also just, yeah, like got really into into that sort of like through hiking movement. And so uh, this SPS project was kind of a, a combination of all my skills from through hiking to rock climbing to to running and so it was really like the culmination of uh basically like years of work um that i had put in and so just like being outside uh since i was you know 17 was basically training for this project mm -hmm. and having that pack that's that lo that big pack on the long trail that's the education that's that's how you learn about it, right? You, I'm sure you could have read a book or maybe not. And someone would say, these are the things you need, but you got to go figure that out yourself. You got to find out what, what you need. And the only way to do that is to be mm -hmm. a little bit naive and say, okay, well, I'm, these are the things I believe I need, go into that experience and then start to shed the layers. And I think there's nothing more beautiful mm -hmm. and more um, impactful on who you become as the person mm -hmm. you are than to go have these experiences pretty profound yeah totally if i hadn't really like done that um back when i was younger then um if i had tried to do that for this project then it might not have worked out so that trial and error uh was really really helpful and i, I on the long trail i think i tried to wear like those um toe shoes you know what i'm talking about those like barefoot <laughs> shoes that um have no uh support whatsoever or like uh and i ended up like just my feet were like super sore every single day and <laughs> um yeah it was just kind of funny it's like uh realized that that actual shoes are, are kind of nice for uh hiking <laughs> you also did the the appalachian trail where did that fall in yeah so um 
after I graduated in 2018, I went out and hiked the Appalachian Trail. And um, that was sort of like my dream. That was like the biggest thing that I could imagine when I was in high school. Um, and so, yeah, so I went out and, and did it in 102 days, averaging like 25 to 35 miles a day. Um, and that was that was really awesome as well. I learned a lot on that that adventure, just like how how far I can push my body um, every single day. And so that those lessons also translated to, to this project. I'm thinking about your mom and dad as you're out doing the AT and you're, you know, at this 28 day wilderness camp and now you're going to school and you're just like out in the wilderness, you know, your, your places where the only way you're going to get out, maybe if you're lucky is a helicopter. Right. And, but there's sometimes you can't even get that in there. Um, how how are you supporting your parents in staying grounded as you're out there doing all these crazy adventures? Because there's a part of them that knows like this is not going to stop. He's going to just keep going. But as a as you know, you're young. You're young doing this stuff. Are you checking in with them? Like, what was the agreement there? Yeah. So I basically had to desensitize them throughout the years. <laughs> basically starting with like smaller adventures and working towards bigger and bigger things. So um, they got more and more used to it. Uh, but yeah, when I hiked, I only had a flip phone basically up until like two years ago. Um, so I basically just like would call them whenever I could get service in town. Um, and then, yeah, just like check in and up until like, a couple of years ago, I also got a, a Garmin InReach, which is um, pretty great, great uh, resource for any anyone who goes out in the, into the mountains to to stay safe. Because um, from there, you can send texts anywhere, uh, even if you don't have service. So, um, and then also there's like live tracking and stuff. And and uh, my mom throughout this project, she has been in heaven basically just because every single day I've been tracking myself on the website. And so she knows exactly where I am. Uh, so so, she, so she, she's been loving that. And um, yeah. <laughs> she finally got like 117 <laughs> nights of sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so beautiful though. Like if you, if you, if we zoom out and see this like, Hmm. these relationships that we have, like we think our parents are there to support us or teach us or give us rules and keep us safe and all of that, but we're also there to teach them. And you're teaching them letting, you know, you're teaching your mom and your dad like how to let go and detach and trust and have faith and, and allow you to be your own being. And those are not easy lessons to learn. And I'm, they're similar lessons to what we learn as we go off and sow our dreams is, you know, detaching and letting go and trusting and, and, uh, and moving forward. So how does, how do you start to like move into this big project? When does this, uh, I think this is the same question I asked Jason about his, his big epic adventure doing the bulgers is like, when does this become a good idea for you to go out and, you know, try and capture this SPS list FKT? Yeah. Um, so when Jason and Nathan reached out to me about the project, it was in October of 2021. And at first, I, I wasn't I wasn't super excited about it because I had questions like, like, what is this list? Who created this list? Like, 
it may, is it contrived or, you know, usually I'm more interested in the aesthetics of a, a mountain and just like by being there and seeing it. And so, um, I was sort of unsure about what a list would entail, but I actually did more research and looked at it. And the way that they chose the list is basically broken up into 24 different regions throughout the Sierras. Um, and the Sierras, it starts from like down near Owens Peak and spans all the way up to Tahoe, which is like about 400 miles of the whole range. And um, basically, it it they chose like the most iconic and prominent and classic peaks of the whole range. And so I figured at the very least, it would just be a really cool way to like go out and, and experience the Sierras um, and just increase my, my uh, knowledge of the the Sierras and uh, build my my relationship with them, um, and so yeah, we started planning in October, and um, basically like researched every single mountain. Uh, thankfully, there's a good amount of information about each one because they've all been climbed before, and so there's websites, there's trip reports, there's a, a kind of like a book that has lots of information. Um, and so basically we, we, we started to, to crack the, the puzzle of stringing all these routes together in a way that was the most efficient and that made sense. And, um, so we had all of our route plans before we started. Um, and then when we started, we ended up doing like a big loop around the whole range, uh, starting with Whitney on the east side and then going down south around to the west side and going up north and then coming back down. Um, and so we tried to make it as efficient as we could. Were there, op how were the obstacles, was the planning, you know, made around weather, um, temp uh, you know, heat and humidity and, you know, rainfall, was, was that a factor or, was, or is it just like, we'll be prepared for whatever comes? Yeah, the biggest thing was uh, snowpack and uh, fire hazard. So, I didn't want to start too early um, because then I would just be like post holing in the snow and that's just not great conditions because that's really slow. But I didn't want to finish too late because uh, of course fires happen. And um, and so, yeah, I started in April when there was definitely still a good amount of snow and some like uh, heinous post holing. But I we ended up buying uh, snowshoes, which were pretty helpful. Um, so yeah, we definitely started like more earlier than, than nor normal people would, um, but ended up finishing, uh, in August. So like kind of like right before the fires and then, yeah, basically the Southern section and the Northern section is the most fire prone. And so we did the Southern section as quickly as we could just getting that done. Um, and then I did the, yeah, the Northern section, like pretty much as quickly as I could as well. Um, I love Jason. He's, you know, he's, he like comes to you with the project, like, oh, you can do, you can do the project, right? Because he's probably in his school year, but he needs to live vicariously, right? Through, <laughs> through someone. But how do you, how did you even know Jason? I mean, I'm assuming from, you know, the, the industry of, of climbing and FKTs and all of that. But um, yeah, how did, how did you create this uh, friendship or mentorship with him? Yeah. Yeah. I, I owe Jason a lot. He's really, uh, he's really guided me through like my whole, uh, process of exploring and stuff. So I just want to give him a shout out. He's also just like a really awesome dude. 
Um, but so basically I had, I had known about Jason. I had known about FKTs for a while and, um, I never really like considered myself as being someone who could like get an FKT. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was like for like really elite athletes and stuff. And, uh, and I knew I'd known about Jason cause I listened to the podcast and stuff and he's like the king of FKTs and, um, so I was in Joshua tree, just like climbing, uh, one fall season and, uh, of 2021, I think, um, or no, 2020. Um, but anyway, so I'd heard Jason had set a, an FKT route on right on, which is a five, six. It's basically like the biggest, uh, climb in the park. And it goes up this giant granite slab. Um, it starts out like, on these like tiny little edges and then you move into a crack system and then the crack system uh, basically widens up into a chimney and then you get to the top of this feature and run back down and it's like um, 400 feet of climbing and maybe I think like two miles but I had climbed it many times before and I had heard Jason had put down a a time on it and so I figured I would go for it and uh, so that was like the first FKT I ever went for and I remember waking up early and uh, uh, playing um alicia keys uh underdog i don't know if you know that song <laughs> because that's kind of how i felt i was like oh man i'm going to like uh you know try to break the record of one of my idols here like i don't know we'll see how it goes and uh ended up just like going for it and it was so fun just like going all out tapping into that flow and uh ended up beating him by a pretty like sizable amount and so he took notice to that and, and reached out to me. And then he was like, dude, like, uh, um, here's a list of a whole bunch of other things that you should try. And so he, like, basically, he was so supportive and, uh, uh, yeah, gave me, uh, yeah, the information to, like, to, to keep on exploring that, that sort of uh, realm. Expanding a little bit beyond Jason, how is, the, how is this community of FKT? Um, because... To, to someone, you know, like myself, this is, this is fresh to me. This is new. Like I've been in the world of triathlon and endurance sports, but this is something that's to, in my awareness come up in the, in the past two or three years, but I know endurance trail racing and, you know, uh, sky running or whatever you call it, like all these adventures have been around. What can you say about the community that you've been immersed in beyond, beyond Jason? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, uh, supportive community. Um, just, and it's, it's quite small, uh, at the moment as well. Um, definitely like, uh, the FKTs that involve like more of just, uh, trails and stuff is a little bit of a bigger community, but the FKT routes that involve like a mix of running and climbing is, is quite small. Um, but yeah, I've basically like, so a couple of my FKTs have gotten broken uh, recently. And, you know, I always reach out and I'm like, oh man, like you did an awesome job. Like, I'm just like so psyched that you lowered the bar and just, it's, I, I really enjoy just seeing what, what other people can do and how I feel like we're like all working together to, to like push the limits of what we all considered possible. And, and, uh, I think that's how a lot of other people uh, view it as well. Um, and, and yeah, even for like this SPS project, like if someone wanted to to come out and, and give it a go, like I've got lots of information about, you know, what 
what could be improved about it. And I would just love to see like somebody, somebody, uh, go for it. Um, and so, yeah, it's basically, it feels more of like we're working towards like, uh, a larger, larger goal. I love that. Okay. So anybody listening that wants to, uh, break Travis's FKT, especially from Rhode Island, (laughs) especially from the Rhode Island area, that would be amazing. Um, he is willing to help you. Um, I want to uh, I want to talk about the tie-in with um, the Bishop Paiute Sovereignty Food Bank Program, um, but I want to ask first, like over these 117 days, I'm assuming you're you're ebbing and flowing, you're you're traversing the the waves of this experience. Was there ever a time where it just seemed impossible that it was gonna even be completed? Yeah, I'd say for actually like most of the project, I didn't think that I would finish. Um, And like it was just so overwhelming to sort of like think about climbing 247 mountains for four months. Um, And yes, but I just took it one day at a time and just figured like at the very least, you know, I'm going to have a a good time climbing like a couple mountains. Um, and that'll just be a great experience in and of itself. And so, so yeah, it was honestly, um, it was just as difficult mentally as it was physically because, um, you kind of have to plan mentally to, to climb 247 mountains, but then you have to compartmentalize in your brain. Well, like I'm going to put all those mountains aside and just focus on this one for today. Um, and so, so yeah. Um, that was a really big, a big lesson and just like learning how to, how to like, uh, conceptualize the whole idea. Um, and yeah, so I just, i set a goal of climbing 50 and then ended up getting to 50 and then I was like, well, I get to a hundred and ended up going to a hundred and then I got halfway and then I was like, well, I got halfway so I could probably do that again. <laughs> um, and then that was around halfway that was the moment where it was like um yeah like uh i'm kind of pushing my boat out into the open sea and i'm just gonna go for it and see what happens how is the durability of the body um i want to know if the you know the moments because this is a a quite big ask of your of any of anybody even a well-conditioned um physical structure How, how did this wear and tear work on you yeah yeah thankfully um due to my previous like through hikes and um stuff like that i sort of knew what sort of uh pace to set which was really important because you can't really go at like 90 to 100 percent um because if you do that then the next day you're gonna be beat and so uh i I basically went at like 75 to 80 percent every day um so like hiking fast, but, um, not running really, um, taking like breaks when I need to. And, um, and so when you kind of move at that, that, uh, level of exertion, then just somehow the body is able to do that every single day. Um, and there are lots of days where I got to the end and just thought there was no way that I was going to be able to keep going. But, if you just, you know, sleep for a couple hours, it's kind of mind blowing, um, 
how how far you can push the body if you just keep telling it to go forward. <laughs> yeah, you you spoke about that. I was just listening to a podcast, um, and you you talked about how we as humans humans limit ourselves. We we are the limiters. We our minds are the limiters. Mm-hmm. But you're expanding that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think like we have a lot deeper reservoirs than we than we know. Um, and not just like, uh, for physical, uh, endeavors, but just for like, uh, other things as well, like emotionally and spiritually. And, um, just like if we really like set our minds to something and are willing to explore the process, then we can really like go places we didn't think we could, which is one of the biggest takeaways of this project. How far can you go? I know you want to (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah i don't know we'll see i i definitely uh have lots of more ideas <laughs> <laughs> so good so good um calories are you i mean oh, yeah. all the calories all the calories every day how many calories are you taking in for for these days like was there an uh yeah let me just start start with that like how many calories are you taking in on average yeah, I was probably eating like 5,000 to 7,000 calories a day. Um, it was kind of nuts. I could eat like a whole family-sized box of Oreos in a single sitting. And then just somehow I was like hungry again like an hour later. Um, and so, yeah, I was just like consuming like a obscene amount of uh, junk food. Mm. <laughs> and yeah... <laughs> With that amount of calories that you're taking in, and then of course hydration and electrolyte, um, you know, tending to your electrolytes and stuff. What was the longest span of you being out there without having a refuel, like having a, a stop where you could load back up again? Hmm. Um, let's see. We did our longest trip was was 12 days in the backcountry. But we actually had uh, um, two friends come come in and, and meet us and resupply us, which was really nice. So going in for multiple days, like how heavy of a pack are you are you carrying? Um, yeah, I'd probably carry maybe like 10, 10 pounds of food, like uh, five to ten pounds of food like per day that I was out there. Um, and yeah, <laughs> so a lot of food. So let's, um, okay, let's stay with this subject of food because uh, there's another piece of this project that has allowed you to really bring in this passion of raising awareness around you know, the accessibility of food. And <laughs> you are a quasi professional dumpster recreator. Um, you've coined that dumpster recreation, not dumpster diving, but man, you've pulled out some pretty amazing like hauls from the dumpster of whole foods, Safeway, like restaurants. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. I know you're really passionate about it. So just dive into that as far as like what, what you're seeing through this real, you know, research that you're doing with looking in the dumpsters of supermarkets and restaurants, like what's happening that people don't know is happening? 
Yeah, yeah. So, so I first dumpster dove uh, when I was in when I went to Prescott College when I was a freshman. It was something that some of the upperclassmen introduced me to. And um, for those of you, yeah, who don't know, typically you go to grocery stores. You're not really like jumping into like I don't know like restaurant dumpsters typically. Um, and yeah, it sounds like pretty gross, but when you when you start to to explore that world you see how much good edible food is actually being thrown away and so yeah we would go to like safeway um our natural grocers and basically every single day there was there was fresh stuff being thrown away from just like vegetables to all sorts of dairy products and uh meat as well um and then Basically, the reason is because the expiration date is uh, like the, the food has been expired technically, um, but that those expiration dates are obviously set by industrial standards um, that are like uh, very, um, uh, what's the word, like uh, conservative on the safe side. Hmm. Yeah, like so, so really that food is still good, but um they just have to get rid of it. And at first it was like awesome because, you know, I was like, I didn't have much money and was basically just surviving off of dumpster food, food in college. And, uh, it was kind of crazy. We could feed like our whole dorm, uh, off of just like what we were finding. And I was probably spending like only like $30 a month on groceries for a time there. Um, and still eating pretty well, like salads and bread and um, yogurt and stuff. And and so, yeah, at first it was like pretty awesome because I was like, oh, yeah, sweet, free food. But then I started like thinking about it, like this is happening like every day across the whole like United States and also just the whole world. Um, and uh, so that yeah basically that idea like definitely like concerned me quite a bit and i realized that like not a lot of people knew that this was actually like a problem and uh so that's actually why i got instagram was just to to share um to share this with other people and so so yeah if you like scroll back into my instagram a ways that's like uh, i started this this uh challenge uh while i was living in sedona where i uh, didn't buy any food. I only uh, ate what I found in the dumpster at, for uh, 28 days. And uh, I definitely, I found enough to feed like three or four people. I actually ended up gaining weight throughout the process. And and so that was just like a testament to, you know, like how much is thrown away. And I was really only like uh, foraging like, you know, three three to five times a week. So I wasn't even like, I didn't even have to go every single day. Um, and so, yeah, that, that basically, uh, is something that I'm really passionate about, like sharing and just expressing because, um, there's lots of just like, uh, implications about, about, uh, how food waste impacts our world, such as like, uh, food waste, like we're a country. So basically like all of the, the resources that goes into creating food that gets thrown away. Uh, it would be the third largest uh, emitter for uh, for emissions, for like CO2 um, and methane emissions, because um, when it gets thrown away, 
in in the dumpster and then it gets tossed into a landfill it's basically all just sitting in one massive landfill and uh the way that it degrades it just produces tons of methane which is um a really like detrimental uh emission to our to our uh our you know atmosphere um and so yeah it's just like a huge problem that you don't really hear about like there's lots of other things people are doing to like combat climate change and stuff um which is great but um for some reason this 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 really big thing like i don't know i didn't really know about until i like saw it firsthand and so so that's something that uh in the future i would like to explore more just how i can um how i can positively impact that world and just for now i'm kind of just like spreading awareness and so yeah the bishop Paiute Food Sovereignty Program was sort of perfect because they're uh, located in Bishop here and they're growing food um, on their ranch for the for the Paiute people and as a way of uh, getting sovereignty from uh, like the greater you know U.S. Uh, um, mm-hmm. government and um, so so yeah they so I, I I met with the elders there and uh, they're pretty psyched they gave us. Uh, uh, their blessing to like fundraise for them. And, um, and so, yeah, we managed to raise about $3,500. And which I think they're going to use just to, to build more infrastructure into their ranch and uh, keep growing food. And, um, and yeah. (laughs) So, Okay, so I highly recommend everybody go to Travis's Instagram page because you're not just getting, yeah, sometimes you're getting like white bread and donuts and things like that. But like I'm seeing pictures of Waterloo sparkling water because the cans are dented. Uh, Broccolini, like apples, beautiful produce, like really like high quality sustenance. Why is this happening? Why is 30 to 40% of food being thrown away in the U.S. Like, what? Where? What's the disconnect? Yeah, a lot of it is um, grocery stores like overstock um, their their store, and so just so there's like tons of stuff to choose from, um, and basically whatever like isn't bought just gets thrown away. And so I think grocery stores, you know, could do a lot better like looking at what is actually purchased and how much they're actually selling and just like refining that. Uh, so that's like a, definitely a big, a big thing. And then, um, and then, yeah, there's also like, even before a lot of this stuff gets to the, uh, grocery store, like at the farms, a lot of like imperfect looking food gets thrown away. Um, which, uh, is like food that just like, doesn't look pretty or like, uh, like, uh, people like wouldn't really want to buy, um, and it, that just all gets tossed as well. And so, so it's definitely like happening in like multiple stages as it works through the, the food, food process from, from farm to, to table. And then uh, there's also a lot that like consumers, um, can do, um, just by like, um, knowing how much food that they, they consume because, there's also a good a good amount of that percentage is what gets thrown away at the household too, so um, which you know like I'm I'm also guilty of that, 
um, when you just like, maybe you're like grocery shopping when you're hungry or something, you know, and you, you buy, uh, too much food that you can eat. And then at the end of the week, you have to throw away, uh, that spinach that just went bad. And so kind of just, so there's, there's lots of multiple, uh, there's lots of stages along the process and, um, that of just how all this food gets thrown away. And then also, um, what we could do when we do throw food away, because there is, uh, you know, food scraps and it does have to go somewhere is to compost because, uh, composting, um, the way that it, it, the process happens is it releases less methane into the atmosphere. Um, and then can also be like reused to, for, for growing purposes. Yeah, that's so true. It's like just throwing banana peels or uh, broccoli stems into the trash bag is not, it's, it's not like, oh, well, it's going to compost anyway, so I'm not really wasting it. But it's actually going to compost in a way that's harmful. I didn't even, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about yeah. that, so I'm just admitting my ignorance mm-hmm. there. And you know what? We've been guilty of that. And anytime I do have food that's gone bad, I like, I really feel that. Like I feel, I, I don't just kind of, there's like a tendency where I just want to like dump it in the trash and like forget it ever happened. But I've really been stepping into like feeling it and it feels awful and it feels wasteful and it feels irresponsible and it feels like I, I need mm-hmm. to be better. I, I want to be better. So it's not just totally. pointing the finger. It's like turning the, turning it around and, and pointing it back at ourselves as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it goes both ways. And yeah, it especially hurts like really bad too when you think about how many hungry people there are in the world. About one in seven humans are food insecure. And it's just, it it's really saddening that, you know, we have enough food to feed all these people, but we're just not allocating it properly. Um, but yeah, the other day I, I like, uh, I went swimming Um and I forgot that I had like these peanut butter pretzels in my uh, in my pack and uh, in like a Ziploc and they got all soggy and stuff. And I was like, oh, man, like I just wasted so much and kind of like forced myself to eat uh, the ones that were like uh, at least somewhat acceptable. But I ended up having to throw away like uh, a handful. And uh, yeah, that was like just kind of like a dumb mistake. But but yeah, it happens. But yeah, definitely. Like, uh, there's lots of stuff that can happen on the policy side, like in our government, and then also uh, on the consumer side. And so, um, yeah. 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 So supporting this is a good way to um, is a good way to to start shifting that around. At least, and back to your point about looking at the whole route, you have this whole thing, but you got to take it down to like, what can you do today? Like, what can we do right now? Yeah. Exactly. Totally. So as we begin to wrap this up, um, congratulations, by the way, on just an, just a really seemingly impossible task that you completed um, so freaking fast. And uh, your starting point was living and growing up in a place that you didn't feel you wanted to be. Um, I guess I could also use the word like where you didn't, almost like you didn't belong. And so as there's so many people out there that maybe can relate to this, whether it's their marriage, whether it's their, even the sport, you know, we ask our athletes all the time, like, do you eat, do you want to be a triathlete? Cause it's 
really important that you want to do it because it asks a lot of you. Maybe it's a job that somebody's in that they're just really in this place where right now they have to endure it. They just have to endure it. But how can they, how can they, um, any words that you have for them where they can begin to kind of turn that light on and figure out, get clear on where they want to be or what they want to do um, in this life? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, yeah, I think it's definitely like a lot of people fall into just like not really being where they want to be and kind of living in this in-between, um, space, which just doesn't really serve them or the people they're around. But yeah, I guess the first thing would be just to like, sort of like, you know, go out and meditate or something or just like sit with your thoughts and figure out what it is that you actually do want, like, and why you want it. Or like, are you wanting it just because, uh, you know, like you see it on social media or like other people place value in it, or is it something that like really intrinsically means a lot to you? And so I think that like one of the most important things is like checking in with yourself about like what you really, really want, uh, and like where you really, really want to see yourself. Um, is sort of the most difficult part. Um, and then I think just like after that, after you like sort of sort of like get in touch with yourself, um, it's easy. Yeah, like I think like things, the universe will just like almost just like help you along if you just take notice. Like um, you don't like obviously you need to put in the work and stuff and like keep your eyes open. But But like if you just, know what you like where you want to go like the universe will reveal itself and you just need to listen to it um and just say yes to things that that like are uncomfortable or that like scare you <laughs> yep that's that's, good, that's the recipe right there that's it because yeah. <laughs> you know in our experience pursuing what you love or feeling like wow i'm doing what i'm what I came here to do uh, will put you right up in front of all your fears. So you got to just keep going. Mm-hmm. There's really no secret to it. It's just take that next step. And finding what you, when you find what you want or you take that time to be clear, th- there's nothing that's going to stop you. There, like your purpose is to, yeah. to seek um, or to meet every challenge with um, determination and desire. And so nothing will stand in your way. Mm-hmm. But you got to figure out what you like first. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, you said that you've got uh, some dreams and some ideas. Anything you can share with us um, moving uh, moving forward? Anything you've got your eye on? Yeah, uh, in the short term, just uh, just um, up some stuff up in Tuolumne and Yosemite National Park. Um, just some more climbing goals and getting back into the vertical world. I'm really excited to do. And then, uh, yeah, long term, a uh, couple couple ideas, but I think I need to let them like brew a little bit before uh, I talk about it. Um, yeah, but yeah, and then just in general, and, and just in general, like uh, hanging out with friends for now is um, something I'm really excited to do, and uh, yeah, and uh, play music and stuff. 
Very cool. Awesome. Travis, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you sharing with us and, I, and um, all this information about food waste. It's, it's so important. So hopefully everybody will just, even just today, even if just one day, one day, we're all a little bit more mindful yeah. about going to the store, like that's going to make a massive difference. That's going to make a massive difference. Mm-hmm. One day, thousands of people just make one better choice. Um, so thanks for bringing totally. that to our attention and congratulations on this epic feat. Um, and we'll be following. Can't wait to see what these big things are as they unfold. Yeah, thanks again. It was awesome to, to meet y'all and, and to chat. 